0: Fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to BT. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, the physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon.
1: Dan, it is so great to be here, and you know, I am the happy-go-lucky optimist who thinks the world will never end, mm-hmm. but I do appreciate you creating scenarios and situations where maybe my darker side can shine, and I'm looking forward to it in this episode.
0: <laughs> That's my favorite, Dan, and I like, you are normally a Pollyanna, people know you as the friendly skeptic on Ancient Aliens, I plugged you first, and I think yeah. that <laughs> this is a great opportunity to turn you into the evil mastermind. I know you to be. Uh, But there's one man who's already revealed himself as the evil mastermind, and that is our enigmatic engineer, Ben Siebser. Ben, how are you doing up on the very appropriate brain station? You know, Dan,
2: this week, I am getting back to my roots, and I'm working on some good old-fashioned brain machine interfaces. I've got some new ideas, and I'm very excited to be discussing them with both of you.
0: Well, forget the brain interfaces. We're going to talk about the brain itself because, yeah, you know, we're just a couple of mad scientists, I think, <laughs> right? And yes. you know, I I'm very excited to explore some age-old scientific sci-fi you know, uh, scenarios. And one of my favorite that has come up very recently is this idea of keeping your brain or a brain alive in a jar. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And uh, this is very fun, guys, because I'm the master of film and television. I have to uphold my end of the bargain because you guys uphold yours. And I watched a lot of great movies here. Uh, Oh, and it's (laughs) a sentient, sentient brain in a jar, by the way, I should mention. So I watched the classic Donovan's Brain, Uh, The Mm -hmm. Man with Two Brains, starring Steve Martin. Futurama, Mm -hmm. (laughs) of course. Uh, Ben, your Mm -hmm. favorite. These are heads in a jar, which also most heads contain a brain. Um, Mine does occasionally. (laughs) And and this is what you mentioned, Ben, uh, my partner in crime here when it comes to film and TV. uh, Crank 2 High Voltage, uh, which also (laughs) contains the, you know, spoiler alert, the bad guy is, in fact, uh, a head in a jar. Now, I thought for sure that Crank 2 was going to be nominated for a Razzie, a Golden Raspberry, as most people know. But the year this came out, it was Transformers Revenge of the Fallen who uh, (laughs) who did a clean sweep uh, of the Golden Raspberries that year, which was very surprising to me. Uh, And before I pass this along, I want to say that one of the first audiobooks I ever listened to when I was in college, I was going cross-country, and the girl I was dating at the time brought Donovan's Brain as the audiobook. So I listened from Boston (laughs) to L.A. That's what I listened to. Appropriate... I don't know, uh, but I'm curious, you know, uh, Ben, I'm going to go with you first. What do you, th- where do you stand on brains in a jar and wh- is that where yours currently is? Uh, well, I mean, is our skull not
2: a jar for our brain stand? <laughs> I mean, are we not all already brains in a jar? I mean, I, 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 I tend to think of it that way. Uh, but I think, you know, it's cert- of the ways to preserve a brain for posterity, for cyborg purposes, whatever... It makes sense, um, you know. It, you know, brains brains need oxygen. They need some other stuff. Why
0: not give it to them in a jar? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's I, you can't really argue with a lot of that logic. I mean, it is it's very true. I mean, you know, it's interesting because I think that, you know, typically when we hear of heads in a jar, we think of cryonics, people taking their brain and preserving mm-hmm. it for future. But this is going to be a show that's strictly on keeping that brain alive and operating at its fullest mm-hmm. potential. And Denon, I know that if I know you well enough, if your brain gets plucked out of your coconut, you're going to want it operating at an absolutely high level.
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, that's why I was really glad, Dan. You specified, um, you know, sentient brain in a jar. Mm-hmm. Aware, um, yes, I, conscious. Brain aware, brain. right? Like because you know, I mean, uh. I have enjoyed. You've expanded my palate. They might say, um, and I realized I enjoyed more zombie movies than I thought. Um, I definitely was always into the Frankenstein, Igor. Um, maybe mm-hmm. not-so-sentient brain in a jar that you had to jumpstart. Right, 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the formaldehyde brain in a jar. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say, you know, you mentioned your, some of your favorite um, brains in a jar. Ironically, one of my favorites is a science fiction book. It's a whole set of series. Um, Many Colored Land is one of the books. I can't remember exactly all the names. And basically, it's a great series about how people actually have mental powers. Okay. And one of the main characters is known as Jack the Bodiless because he transforms <laughs> himself into just a pure brain through uh-huh. his mental power. And he is okay. just brain, and he doesn't even need a jar, Dan.
0: Wow. What What, what, what do you mean? Is, is he just on the ground like an octopus?
1: It, no, his mental power, he floats, floats? and he flies okay. and he protects. Right. Silly me. His, right. <laughs> he will create the illusion of a body for those of us who are maybe a bit disturbed about talking directly to a brain. Got it. Um, But he has brain in the purest form.
0: Yeah. When, and I remember, you know, you just, you just uh, struck a memory in my brain, my currently in, encased brain, that uh, when Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, one of the bad guys was Krang, who was just oh, like yeah. this brain-like creature who existed in a body. But he existed in like the abdomen of a robot, not in the skull of a robot, which is very interesting. And I will mention one other thing I forgot to say is that uh, I also was reading a couple of old H.P. Lovecraft stories and Whispers in the Dark talks about, you know, brains in jars and hooking them up to all kinds of sensory organs, which we're going to get into all of that. Uh, But first of all, of course, people listening, you might be a little incredulous. What are these guys talking about? What could possibly be the advantages or disadvantages of having your brain in a jar? Wouldn't we just get rid of it? Well, I want to discuss what would be (laughs) the, the pros and cons of taking your brain out of its current you know, let's say native <laughs> environment and putting it into a wholly synthetic, albeit by your definition, then a natural, the environment of a <laughs> nutrient liquid bath. You know, there's got to be pros and cons here. Uh, ben, as our brain expert, what mm-hmm, do you see? Mm-hmm. What, what's your first impressions?
2: Well, I mean, I think the big one is, you know, we've spoken about this before, how much our biology sucks. Mm. Uh you know uh you know sure. uh, evolution you know it gets you just good enough to not get mm-hmm. eaten by something else right mm-hmm. uh you know we that's think about that you how,
0: need though that's all you just need to not get I eaten I mean I personally
2: think I don't like the fact that our sinuses are so easy to get infected or <laughs> that our um, ankle bones should be fused but they're not mm-hmm. and all sorts of other things that you know we we talked about that in that uh Mm -hmm. book human errors Mm -hmm. Uh, that's all about how evolution has done a sturdy so if you could be a brain in a perfectly operating perfectly engineered robot body i mean why not now you get all the advantages of the brain and none of the stupid awful
0: problems of our biology. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't argue with that. And, you know, thanks to you, I did do a, an episode on my show, Fascinating Nouns with Nathan Lentz, where he does go over all of the, uh, let's say, evolutionary downsides of our current uh, physical and phys- physiology and physical nature. Mm-hmm. So there are there are definitely cons there, which you do wholly eliminate by getting rid of the body itself. Uh, what about you, Denon? <laughs> what do you, who do you think about? What are your pros and cons of well, living in a jar?
1: You know, I think people remember, the longtime listeners remember when the two of you tried to pitch biology versus technology mm-hmm. as a solution to some of my aging problems. Yep. Um, and I definitely feel like this is a, a scenario where I definitely want my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want technology to replace that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe so. So the pros are what Ben suggested, right, that you as an individual can kind of choose the parts of your biology that are annoying versus not annoying and maybe get rid of the annoying ones. I really do believe, I wanna be clear, that this is a personal moral choice, I feel. Like Mm -hmm. I don't want us to be imposing upon other people which parts of their biology they keep and don't keep because we probably Mm -hmm. all have different views of that and different broken parts. Um, That's why I'm not a brain in the jar purist. (laughs) Right. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the cons are you lose the parts of your biology you like, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think this is really, I think this is the epitome of that sort of choice um, in terms of your biology and control over it. Which goes to my final point here, Dan. As you pointed out, we are part of nature, right? And maybe evolution so far has messed with us, but we're now in the driver's seat. Mm -hmm. As nature's evolutionary agent, um, the next stage of evolution is clearly a brain in a jar with the bits you like.
0: I will just say I was quoting you, by the way. I want no one listening to think that I also hold that idea of <laughs>
1: that the, the lab. I thought I finally should... converted you, Dan. No, no,
0: no. I was simply quoting uh, the great uh, physics phenom, Dr. Michael Dennett. Uh, but I do like this a la carte version of, you know, and, and no, we're not imposing anything on anyone, but we are giving suggestions mm-hmm. that, I, that we believe people should take. And the a la carte version of your body is uh, maybe that is the way to go. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I will tell you this from advantages from uh, just, you know, back at the end envelope type stuff here, I see, you know, it's much easier to port, uh, port, to, uh, it's much more portable. You can move a, a brain in a jar around much easier. It's much lighter than a full body. Uh, it doesn't really get racked with diseases like your body does. You mentioned Denon mm-hmm. or Ben, you mentioned your sinuses. Uh, that is disease. And probably my favorite part is if you're just a brain in a jar, the odds of you getting eaten by a shark while close to zero now become absolutely zero. Uh, <laughs> if you're sitting on a shelf well, in a laboratory. Well, Dan,
1: I, I hate to burst your bubble. Mm-hmm. That is until someone throws your jar in the ocean.
0: Right. That is, that is true. <laughs> that is true. I will be covered in glass. But um, uh, but it it doesn't, okay, it's not zero, but it's as close to zero as I could get without being zero. I,
1: think. I mean, that's why right, you... Yeah.
0: That's why you need your jar and a sweet robot body, so that no one can throw you in the ocean. <laughs> and jerks don't like robots. Uh, but you know, I think there's a lot of th- and the uh, a disadvantage is obviously anything physical, unless you replace it with that sweet, sweet cyborg, you know, exterior. Mm. The uh, you know, uh, but l- l- is this possible? You know, uh, we have to think: Can we preserve the brain? Can we simply crack open our coconuts? You know, wedge out uh, that, you know, gooey organ and just plop it into a nutrient bath. Is that how this works? What do we need? And Ben, as our brain expert, I'm going to lean on you heavily Mm -hmm. when it comes to doing this. And I also don't recommend anyone does this at home unless they are a trained professional.
2: (laughs) So, I I mean, in honesty, I think the first step of developing this technology will be the whole head preservation. Because I think keeping the brain alive while you extract it from the skull, probably pretty difficult. Um, so if we, if we go to, again, Futurama, great example, everyone, our head, their heads in jars, um, invented by Ron Popeil, as we right. discover, of course, at the, uh, inventor symposium. <laughs> um, and you know, what our heads need, what our brains need is fresh oxygenated blood and mm-hmm. the nutrients that, that blood also brings as well. And so it's not, it, it's obviously not simple, but it's, it's simple at a, at a, It's a simple concept, right? Mm -hmm. You give it fresh blood. You take away the now uh, deoxygenated blood and reoxygenate it. So you need the artificial lungs. You need the artificial heart. We have things that can do this. It's not complicated. It's just we got to work out the kinks.
0: Because I see this as three parts. I see it as you said. We have to feed, you know, you need a system to provide nutrients to the brain. Mm-hmm. You need, um, once that is depleted, you need to re-nutrify, uh, mm-hmm. put nutrients back into the liquid. And then you need mm-hmm. to filter out the waste that our brain produces. So it's mm-hmm. simple. It's a, it's a three-party, you know, system here. Easy to engineer. Uh, simple, simple.
2: Yeah, I mean, you just have to recreate what the body does, anyways, which is you have some big blood vessels going in and out of the head that provide that stuff, and as long as you can, fic- as long as you can get that interface working,
0: you've got a head in a jar. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess that makes sense. I mean, do you see any, any physics problems so far, Denon, with, with this particular approach?
1: Well, I, I, I see sort of two challenges. It may be two. I don't know. I haven't really done the math yet in my head, um, but I'm going to assume it's two. Um, ch- challenge one is it's a good thing you asked an engineer first, mm-hmm. um, and it's a good thing you specified a functioning brain, because as a physicist, I simplify the problem, assume the brain is a sphere, and just mm-hmm. stick it in formaldehyde and preserve it, mm-hmm. um, and don't worry about any of this oxygen and blood and all that stuff. right? Or drag
2: or air resistance. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs)
1: And and presumably the brain will be preserved under these conditions, um, Dan, Mm -hmm. but maybe not the way you were specifying. So Mm -hmm. I'm glad you specified the problem clearly. Yeah. uh, To keep the brain alive. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I do think at a core level, it's shockingly simple until you realize, I would just argue, um, we think we know what keeps the brain alive. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. But do we really? And our good friend gut bacteria comes in here, Dan, friend of the show, longtime viewer, mm-hmm. um, longtime listener, gut bacteria, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and we know it's connected, but I don't know how the. I mean, maybe it's as simple as getting the gut bacteria stuff right for the blood, for the then goes to the brain. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's what you put on the outside. Maybe it's really making sure you know that correctly, because um, obviously the gut bacteria is far away from the brain. Um, I don't think it's putting the gut bacteria in the jar itself, but, you know, that just gives one example Mm -hmm. of I'm a little worried about what we don't know.
2: Yeah, that's that's the complexity, right? I mean, there isn't there isn't bacteria in your inner brain area. That's the whole point of the blood brain barriers and all this stuff. It's a very sterile environment. But what those bacteria do to your overall biological system is important. And we will have to. Research and figure that out, and recreate that those effects through this artificial blood, lungs, and
0: gut system. Well, I don't want to get too far down the gut bacteria because that's that's when we dispose of the body. I want to. We first have to engineer this <laughs> jar. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves here. No pun intended. Right. Okay. Uh, so we've got to engineer this. Just to put a little button on this, to engineer this brain in a jar. We've got the jar. We've got the nutrient bath. We've got the stuff hooked up. This, I mean, are we using real blood? Are we using synthetic blood? Are we using, you know, a nutrient liquid of your own design, Ben? What exactly are we doing for this? Vampires? Are you you stealing blood banks? You could conceivably use real blood uh, where you're
2: uh, somehow probably buying it from blood banks or something because, you know, blood for life saving is donated. And I'm guessing you'd have to pay uh, if you want
0: to keep your brain in a jar alive. Uh, <laughs> Unless you make the argument that you are saving its life,
2: uh, I, there are I'm some gonna, pretty
0: solid, good many type lawyers who
2: could probably I, get yeah, away with it. Perhaps like I'm that. guessing at first this is going to be a luxury item. Sure, uh, <laughs> that's probably right. Uh, but you know, it, it also seems reasonable that as time as this technology progresses, we could come up with artificial fluids that can perform the uh, the oxygen exchange uh, that blood does for us, uh, but without actually using, you know, donated blood from real people. You know, maybe we also figure out how to use the bone marrow from the body uh, of the person to make their blood for, you know, make the blood for the jar or something along those lines.
1: Yeah, I think you know, Ben, you said uh, something important, like down the road. One little known thing. I mean, everybody knows I'm a foam expert, Dan. Mm-hmm, right? Absolutely. That, that is common World's knowledge. World's foremost, yeah. World's foremost. What people may not realize is I also spend a fair amount of my career studying lung surfactant. Mm. Um, <laughs> That's and, so right. and the idea of, you know, what coats your lungs. It's a huge you know problem, actually, for, for babies. If they don't have lung surfactant, you can't breathe. Because if you don't have the surfactant, your lungs aren't the right type. And right now... Um, we we use biological lung surfactant. It usually comes from cows, right? And mm-hmm. so, and that's kind of expensive because we haven't mastered it. It seems like oh, it's two or three sort of chemicals. There's a whole bunch of chemicals randomly in very small quantities that apparently do matter, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And making a synthetic lung surfactant is incredibly hard. Though, if you figure it out, you become incredibly rich. So I think this is the same problem here with the blood. I think we have to start with rear blood because Mm. we just won't know what small little piece we overlooked when we made our nutrient bath that caused all sorts of problems. And so I think this is one case where the vampires got it right. Fresh blood is what you need.
2: To put it in a good analogy term, you know, it's like the difference between real vanilla and the fake
0: artificial stuff.
2: You know, (laughs) the, the big hits there, but you're missing all the little notes
0: that (laughs) <laughs> identical. I was just going to say yeah. it's just like artificial versus yeah. real vanilla. It's identical. Uh, but and I will say I never stopped learning here. I did not know that you were a specialist in human lung surfactant. surfactants surfactants. i did not i did not know that then
1: dad i have to have my secret identity that i occasionally (laughs) (laughs) reveal at certain
0: times (laughs) got a lot of little secrets uh that that are fantastic well and so you know we're talking about you know basically getting rid of the human body or do we cut it up into its each individual parts and use them utilize them (laughs) to our fullest advantage you know the effects of not having a body i think are are going to be something we're going to have to overcome right some you know Ben, I assume that you think of this as an advantage. Uh, I think of it as a disadvantage. Denon, I think you're kind of in the middle. It's typically where we fall on these types of things. Uh, but I will tell you, when I was a kid, there was uh, I was a big Metallica fan. And there was uh, an album called Injustice for All. I forget the name of the song. But there's a song about a man who goes to war and comes back and unfortunately has had his legs removed, his arms removed, he's blind, he can't hear, all of his senses have been removed, you know, and the song is a depressing look at a man who just wants to be put out of his misery. Horrible song, mm-hmm. but a but, uh, well, great song, horrible message, but I think that it's horrible because it makes me extraordinarily claustrophobic about not being able to move, being trapped in your head. And I think that this is, you know, uh, b- think about being paralyzed, but being fully conscious of what's going on around you. And I think these are the psychological. And emotional effects that this would have on the brain if it's not able to move and be and in, 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 interact and really just left. It's like I, It's it might as well be you know isolation. If uh, what is that called? Solitary confinement. Is. Thought, is that that we were that's for? the word. A solitary confinement. So I'm. I, I don't know about you guys, but that to me that's my first issue here. How am I going to mentally psychologically get through this?
2: Yeah, I, I mean that's why it's so important to have uh, things like. Making sure the brain can still hear somehow, can still see somehow. Mm-hmm. Whether that's through preserving the whole head or through having a camera hooked up to the optic nerves, so that your feet, you know, giving it a feed, and also giving it a way to output. Like just getting the information in isn't enough. You need to be able to um, express yourself back. Whether again, that's through a cool robot body you're hooked up to, or whether you know it's just a nice um, internet terminal that you can go and interact with the other brains in a jar or whatever mm-hmm. and chat and whatnot. Yeah. Um, to not, to be locked in would be probably torture. And so you are gonna have to have interaction or there's no point in doing this. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm gonna beg to differ here a little bit gentlemen. Okay. And this is where I really enjoyed um, sort of thinking through my darker side for this episode. Okay, we're um, getting there. Uh, Dan, you know, the, our last episode was, you know, maybe some exploration. We talked about having a show on going into Dan's mind. Um, you've already learned about my lung surfactant expertise. Um, I have become fascinated with my dreams. Okay. Right. And right. I don't interact with anybody else um, technically in my dreams except myself. But there are a lot of cool people and things I do in my dreams. Um you know, as you know, Dan, I, I sacrifice for this show by, by coming in like at this ungodly early hour when we record, when, in, <laughs> fact, in fact, I love spending those long mornings in bed, um, isolated and in my own head and dreaming. Hmm. Now, I don't know that I would have done this if I was much younger, because um, I have a vast wealth of experience to draw upon for my dreams. Interesting. So I, I am not as convinced as you two mm-hmm. that this is an automatic downer having no connection. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think it's, you know, hypothetically an interesting thing to explore.
0: <laughs> I think it is. I, and I'm sure someone out there is doing this. Well, I, you know, as I mentioned in my previous episode, I do a, a problem with songs running around in my head. And, you know, yes. without any sort of external stimuli, it's the same song going over and over or a new song every day. So I um, You know, Mm. the thoughts that run through my head if I was left to them alone uh, are maddening and I'm not sure that I would be able to survive that with my psyche intact. So I'm on the complete opposite end of that spectrum, Denon. Um, dreams are great. And we'll talk about, you know, maybe inducing a dream state for, you know, further, you know, for, for preservation for long periods of, uh, let's say, storage space on a shelf, you know, maybe. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I think, you know, I think that that's interesting. I mean, are you are people psychologically capable of handling being just a brain in a jar? This might be a test. You know, I just learned uh, on, on, a, on a podcast I was listening to recently that quarterbacks have to take a test to see whether they're capable of mentally handling what it takes to be a quarterback in the NFL. I had no idea. Yeah. So I think there should be a psychological test to see if you are capable
1: of living the rest of your life floating in a bath of, of nutrients. I am really curious what the um, approval process would be to do this for rats, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, like how that would be viewed by the world and the ethics of putting rat brains in a jar and seeing if the rats go insane and how you would measure that because yeah. s- that seems to be, it seems unfortunately and sadly, mm-hmm. we do everything to rats and mice first. We do.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, oh, and again, I think you'd, well, I don't know, you'd probably start with just the heads too, but it, <laughs> it, it's, it's fascinating because, you know, it, it would be interesting to try to hook up sensors to a disembodied rat central nervous system Mm -hmm. uh whatever form that takes and see like is it just trying to run around constantly like you know it's 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 a scary thing when you think
0: about that yeah oh it is but i mean it's it's it is a fascinating idea and also you guys mentioned gut bacteria i mean this is i think one of the biggest losses to losing your body because you know It is crazy how much of your personality is driven by your, you know, gut biata. You know, uh, I believe that's the proper term. Um, You know, I was just listening. I mean, just by happenstance, uh, on Fasting Nouns, I interviewed a woman named Kathleen McAuliffe who talks about, you know, how certain uh, parasites and germs can affect your brain chemistry. Um, you know, and, and this is true in the animal kingdom as well. And she happened to be talking on, on this podcast I was listening to about how our gut, our gut bacteria driver of personality in such that, and I'll put up a link on our, on our website that they actually raise what are called bubble mice. And these are mice that are germ-free. Mm. They're, I, I don't know how they process poop, to be honest with you. I don't quite know how that works. But they don't have any gut bacteria at all. And their social behavior is... Remarkably different. Uh, they have reduced social behavior. They're not as curious as, you know, uh, quote unquote, regular mice, mice with with a, a proper flora. Uh, they prefer the familiar. They're, they're, they they don't go after things. They can't solve mazes. Um, you know, they also and strangely enough, they don't mind being taken away from their mothers early. And, you know, that if, if mothers, if if, um, if a small mouse is taken away from their mother early, this causes lifelong um, anxiety and neuroses in, in a regular mouse. So there are huge differences, big markers here. So you lose that completely. So my question to you guys after this, this long little rant here is, are we, you know, we talk about are we ourselves, are we our microbiota? And how would our personality be different? Maybe those songs running around in my head are sourced in my gut. Maybe I need to take some antibiotics (laughs) to get rid of that. I don't know here, but it's it's a possibility that our personality that we encase in that fluid
1: may not be the personality that we think it is. I think that's a great comment, Dan. And I was thinking this a little bit when you mentioned... You know, cutting off the brain from outside stimuli, and, 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 and I include in that the external outside stimuli of your body, mm-hmm. so the mm-hmm. gut bacteria is part of that. Mm-hmm. I do think it's difficult to make conclusions in this case from things like solitary confinement, even even the sensory deprivation um chambers, uh-huh. what's interesting is you're depriving yourself of external input, but your brain is still connected to your senses, and your senses aren't receiving input, which could be mm-hmm. very different than not even being connected to your gut bacteria your senses. So I think of these as the internal signals, Dan, and the gut bacteria is clearly a big one that yep. we don't think of a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I totally agree that you will be a different person. As just a brain with with no sensory things what i was i think bringing up is it's totally unclear to me whether that's a good or bad thing i i don't think the definitions we think of as of normal things of going insane and other stuff would apply to a brain that had totally different inputs i think Mm -hmm. you would just be different yeah
2: I, i i'm glad you brought up the sensory deprivation chamber because you know, you think of it as this completely isolated experience, and it's it's supposed to be completely neutral. But you're still feeling, you know, you feel the idea is, I mean, even the liquid inside of it is supposed to be like body temperature, right? So you don't even feel an exchange. Um, so it doesn't even feel like hot or cold, it feels neutral. But you're still feeling it, you're still floating, you're going to hear the sloshing of the water, and you're going to be able to feel yourself move around in the resistance. And so it's this interesting thing. I think it goes t- to some degree to like these meditation ideas, right? Of, you know, completely, um, isolating yourself and, you know, emptying your head and all this stuff. But the reality is that's not truly possible until we finally achieve the perfection of putting our brains. <laughs> in <the job>.
0: well, <laughs> I like that you guys bring up sensory deprivation tanks as well, because the whole idea behind that is to completely, the goal is to eliminate sensory input, right? You, it's mm-hmm. dark, you can't see, uh, your, your touch is eliminated by the water, smell, you know, it's just what the water smells like in your own body. You're limiting everything completely, and eventually you're going to get used to all this stuff. And w- you want to see what happens. And what happens are extraordinarily vivid hallucinations because your, bo- your brain requires these types of inputs. You can't just sit in an empty room. You can't shut off your brain. It's by design. And if we isolate it inside of a jar without any sort of way to, to communicate, I think, I, I think you would... I, I, what happens in a sensory deprivation tank I think would happen a hundredfold inside of a brain in the sensory deprivation tank that is this nutrient bath jar.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, well, Dan, I think there's three states here. Okay, I'm gonna argue, all right. right? And it comes from my analogy. Like, I was the person no one could understand why I spent my life studying to very loud rock music. Okay, mm-hmm. and the reason is oh, man, all kinds of things about you. Okay, <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, I would, I, 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 function better the, the like rush is ideal for me. Okay. Um, but Are you know, rock? 70s, yeah, Just well, I'm it kidding. is, yeah. classic rock, yeah, classic yeah. rock, soft rock, yep. 70s rock, not heavy metal, but heavy metal will work for me, but what it does for me is it's my equivalent of a sensory deprivation, I work better with an overwhelming signal that wipes out all background noise, mm. then my huh. brain is at its highest functionality, right, really? if you, if you make it quiet, I notice every damn thing. And I'm ultimately distracted, right? So to me, I think a sensory deprivation tank, to Ben's point, would be the ultimate distraction. Because mm-hmm. there'd always be little things you would never get to the zero. I w- that's why I'm fascinated by my brain in a jar. Because now I'm finally at zero, mm-hmm. right? The only thing is my brain. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so I am curious if that's, like, even better than the rock music situation for me. Because now I'm truly at zero. And I suspect. Oh, yeah. And here's my other crazy thought, mm-hmm. right? We we all know that the reality, around, like none of you are real. Like we all know the rest of this is an illusion, and the only real thing is myself. Okay. And mm-hmm. so when I finally put my brain in a jar, uh-huh. I will get to experience reality at its purest, Dan. Okay.
0: Hmm. That, yeah. Although we you went off the rails. At we the end have, there. I, I think I, you had me, you you had me for like eighty percent, and then you shot off. You know, into a, into a tangent that I'm not on board with yet, but I believe that that is okay. true. Well, I believe you believe that. that's
1: you're under the illusion you exist, Dan. Right. That's your problem. <laughs> that is my problem. That is, yeah.
0: that is, I'll say that is I'm, my reality. I don't know if it's a problem, but it's okay, yeah, yeah. my reality.
2: Although, I, I am conser- c- curious then, Dan, and when we when we finally get you into your jar, are we going to have to play rock music in addition well, to what of uh,
0: what what you're actually trying
2: to do, yeah, yeah, <laughs> so no, I, it may do.
1: be necessary. I may need my rock input.
0: Well, <laughs> I, I, I think if we have to get that to you, right? You know, we've <laughs> got to figure out a way to hook up the, the brain back to the sensors, right? And, and I think we, you know, I'm guessing, Ben, you probably sit on the side of, we can probably make sensors that are better than what we have. You know, we can make better oh, absolutely. better visual input, better audio input, olfactory, you know, touch, all that stuff, you know, uh, taste would be weird, but I think we can probably have, you know, a robotic <laughs> mm-hmm. tongue if we need it. Uh, you know, so hooking up that hardware, Ben, this is really where you excel because your expertise is in that uh, a biological Mm-hmm. Uh, mechanical interface here. So how? what are you going with first? What are we going to improve and how do we do it? We've already created two of the more critical artificial sensors,
2: right? Mm-hmm. We, we have cameras and we have ways to um, make artificial eyes like that. We, we've developed systems where you wear glasses or embed sensors directly into your eyes that can then hook into your optic nerves and give you um, vision again. Now, it's not as good as what You know, our eyes are currently capable of, but with enough development, we can probably get there. Um, We also have hearing; we have cochlear implants. Again, not as good as the way our ears actually work, but with more research, we could probably get there. Um, And so, I I think in that aspect, um, we'd be able to do this. Now, you know, touch is interesting because if you don't have a body, you know, what are you touching? Um, if you don't need to eat, what do you taste? Mm-hmm. Is 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 losing eating going to be important is another big question. Mm-hmm. Um, and s- smell, I mean, I, I don't know of any artificial uh, noses that like do things other than like look for poisonous gases and things like that. Right. Um, but we can certainly you could certainly do something in that regard with like mass spec technology and mm-hmm. and figure out like what. Elements are around and feed that into the brain. Mm-hmm. Whether or not that's useful, I don't know. Maybe maybe eyes and ears are enough.
1: I I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I Ben just Dan mm-hmm. Ben just threw me into an existential crisis. Okay. I was loving this brain in a jar <laughs> thing until I realized I couldn't eat chocolate chip cookies anymore. That's it. Yeah. But but I also realized I don't really you know design sensors, but I do know. If you're really at a loss, mm-hmm. we already have the ideal brain-in-a-jar container. That would be the brain in triple GBT mug. Um, we know it's perfect for everything. You might want a slightly larger size than what I'm showcasing here. Depending on the um, size of your depending brain. On, yep. mm-hmm. Depending on the size of your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, by definition, perfect for everything. So why not a brain-in-a-jar? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good call.
0: I like that. I mean, I, I think given the size of my brain, it might be a little small, but I think for yeah. for some other people, rats even, we could put rats and brains yeah. in that mug.
2: Certainly early early research. Sure, yes. <laughs> um, but if you want a preview of what you might look like in your new awesome cyborg self, you can get one of our F uh t-shirts with me as the cyborg. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, proudly show off uh, your future. And your future plans.
0: And, you know, at some point when you've lost all humanity and you forgot who you are, you know, luckily I created a shirt that is the Analytical Mastermind, so it's got my face on it, so I'll remember what I look like in my prime uh, before I became <laughs> basically cauliflower, uh, boiled cauliflower in a jar. Uh, but that's perfect. You know, you can get all this stuff Triple GBT.com forward slash merch for all of your merchandising needs for whatever you want. Uh, you know, I think that this is, when we talk about central. Input. It's really important, I think, to get this right. You know, I you bring up some really interesting points, Ben. I didn't think about, you know, never eating again. But you're, of course, you're not gonna eat again. Do, do we need taste for anything else? You know? Um, if we smell is tied to taste. And if we don't need to smell mm-hmm. and we don't need that to enhance our taste, why not just cut them all out? You know, really, I think when it, when we boil it down, no pun intended, when we boil mm-hmm. this down to just the brain in the nutrient bath this is the most efficient way to have a human being we're basically cutting out the extraneous and holding on to what we believe is our essence i mean is that ben is that really what we're doing here as our master of efficiency absolutely but i mean you can also if we if we realize that
2: it's important to not be efficient it's important to replicate those things there's no reason we couldn't you know if we can figure out how to feed Uh, perfect vision into your optic nerves. I'm sure we can figure out how to feed smell sensors into your olfactory, smell information Mm -hmm. into your olfactory receptors. Mm -hmm. And I mean, tongues like taste five things. Like we can definitely (laughs) figure out how to uh, recreate that uh, sensory input to your brain. So I I think you could recreate those senses if it turns out, that you go crazy without them, mm-hmm. right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm I'm actually less worried about going crazy mm-hmm. than optimal functioning, mm-hmm. um, because again, I mentioned sure. I'm not a sensor expert. That's you know that's been the engineers' mm-hmm. expertise, but I am an expert at listening to other people on my campus. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there's actually an interesting researcher in our biology department who has been looking at the impact of the sense of smell on the brain function, mm-hmm. and showing how important that is. Um, strong smells can really impact how efficient your brain is, even for simple things like for our students taking tests. Mm-hmm. Right, If you study with certain smells and then you don't have those around, it can impact your brain performance. And let's face it, casinos know not only to not have clocks in, but they pump in odors and smells that keep you in the casino gambling for as long as they want. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. it's interesting to me, you know, when you mention efficiency, Dan, there's the energy efficiency in what we're using and doing. But there's also just the efficiency of the function of our brain, and I'm not sure which of these sensory inputs and in what form we really need to stay at maximal efficiency.
0: You've got to streamline, is what you're saying. You know, we've got to streamline our, our yeah. efficiency of our brain. Well, it's funny that we would turn to the casino industry to to see what would put us in a docile state, right? Because for <laughs> long periods of storage, you know, then a, you know, we, we sometimes we've got to stick you back on the shelf, right? What, what are you right. doing during that time period? I don't want to be sitting there wallowing in my own thoughts. I want to be, you know, in a casino, let's say, or just feel like I'm in a casino. <laughs> or to be put into a state of sleep you know some kind of uh, you know some kind of dream state maybe Denon, uh, that you enjoy but I think there's a lot of research that shows that sleep is extraordinarily important not only for our mental well-being but for the physical structure of the brain itself you know it's kind of like a self-cleaning oven and as we sleep Some of the, you know, there's a lot of synapses firing from our day. That all gets cleaned out. A lot of the proteins that are created, you know, get flushed out. That's part of the stuff we're filtering out with our filtration system. So we need to sleep. How do we, you know, for extended
1: periods of time, this might be the way that we store ourselves. I like that. Um, I I think it's an interesting question of, again, this goes to the simplicity of this complicated by the details, right? Right. Mm -hmm. right? What triggers our sleep now is largely our biochemistry and the world around us, right? Um, And again, these are things that come from the outside of the brain is my understanding, though Ben Mm -hmm. may correct me if I'm wrong. And so the system you design, you know, if you just disconnect the brain and stick it in the jar on the shelf, you're in danger because you've got now, the formaldehyde model. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that you would sleep, and I'm pretty sure you would just die. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so I am intrigued, yeah. Dan, about like, does it have to be on a 24-hour cycle? Um, can you sleep longer? You know, What do we know from people who've been in a coma and come back? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. What, is coma the same as sleep, or is it different? Mm-hmm. These are what curious minds want to know. Those are great at questions. Well, we know comas are
2: different, because we, we know that there's really no memory formed when you're in a coma, um, and there's definitely memories formed when you're sleeping, when you're dreaming. And so it seems that, and, and we know that sleeping is very important for your, your mental health, right? People who don't sleep have a lot of problems. And so it's almost certainly important for our, our jars, (laughs) jars and heads, heads in a jar (laughs) or brains in a jar (laughs) to, to sleep. And, and to some degree, if you, if you have those sensory inputs, um, at least the like the visual stimuli of the circadian ry- rhythm would would still exist. You know, you probably don't want to put them in a uh, lab with fluorescent lights on twenty four seven. You probably want to put them in a room that sees a light cycle, mm-hmm. a, a day night cycle, just like normal. Mm-hmm. And and things like that will probably help maintain those biological cycles. But it, it also goes to the gut bacteria, the, and the rest of your body. There's prob- there are other processes in your body that um, that take place over time, digestion and things like that, that are pro- also important to triggering you to sleep. And so those are going to be more things we will have to figure out in order to achieve this successfully.
0: We are creatures of rhythm and cycle. And I think once we, if we mm-hmm. disrupt those completely... I think you got a crazy brain, uh, is my guess. We're going to have to induce Mm -hmm. sleep. You know, it's funny because as this seems to be a streamlined process, let's get rid of the body and we'll just artificially create everything. Like you said, Denon, uh, very eloquently, is, you know, the idea is simple. Uh, in its complexity. You know, the the, the complications <laughs> make it less simple. I don't know what you said. You said it better than I did. I've made it more complicated. <laughs> the complexity
1: is in the details. The complexity is in
0: the details. Yeah, and I think that that's kind of the key here is by trying to make it simple, we actually make it more difficult. Uh, but it's but it's interesting. And, and I think it leads me to the last question here that I think is very important to know is that, you know, as we've seen in many of these TV shows and movies where we do have a brain in a jar, the inevitable outcome is always the development of of telepathy. So I would say, do you think this is going to be possible? Will this brain just find its way into your own head? You know, is this a different way to, to not quantum leap, but to intellectually and telepathically leap into your brain? Uh Dennon, I'm curious if you are worried about this.
1: I'm not worried at all, and I'm actually excited about it. I have not realized this. Um, you bring it up, and telepathy is one of my favorite things. Mm-hmm. And it actually jives with another thought I just had before you mentioned telepathy. Okay. So maybe we are telepathically connected. It's possible. Um, I think the ultimate goal of this is to remove all of these mechanical sensors and stuff. Because if you remember, at the beginning you said, Dan, an advantage is the brain in the jar is smaller. Mm-hmm. More portable. We made the brain in the jar... And portable. Mm-hmm. We made it much bigger by having all this, this stuff around mm-hmm. it. So I think you do two things, and you get both your simplicity and your telepathy, right? You you compress everything onto a microchip. And it, look, the brain ultimately converts every signal to an electrical signal. That's it. Right. Mm -hmm. So you literally just have a very small computer microchip. You have to have the fluid system, but you use microfluidics and you get you get your fluid system. And then every stimulation of the brain is through our little microchip direct electrical. And as as Ben blocks out, but knows deeply as an engineer, anything Mm -hmm. that can send signals in can be a big antenna and transponder out. So now that you've directly made an electrical one-to-one connection between this little receiver thing in your brain, you have Mm -hmm. the amplifier to send the brain signals out and the antenna to detect other people's brain signals. So Mm -hmm. I do Mm -hmm. think it's not a direct the brain going to telepathy, Dan, Mm -hmm. but the engineering decisions we make to make everything electrical gives the brain the antenna and power output it needs to be telepathic interesting
2: yeah i mean i think this just goes to the idea of if if you can hook up your brain to a high speed digital interface um why not put that on you know the internet right or (laughs) or the brain net you know maybe it's a different one maybe you know we don't want the spam of the old internet there but you know there's there's no reason you couldn't then interconnect those brains and have them
0: communicating with each other yeah. They, uh, you know, I didn't even think about this then. And this is a great idea. So you're basically creating telepathy electronically. Um, exactly. Yeah, and that, that's interesting because when in these movies, you see it, you know, kind of created organically. And I think that if telepathy is possible and I'm on the fence, if it's possible, I think it will happen. If it's not possible, obviously yes. it won't happen. But there's been a lot of you know I brought up. <laughs> I love your logic there, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> but it's sound, right? And we can at least say that it's sound yeah. logic. Uh, but you know, we, as we talked about in quantum ent- our, uh, quantum entanglement episode, you know, chemical processes are at their basis quantum entanglement, and there is some scientific research that has shown with you know the remote viewing program we did with the government and a lot of these other scientific experiments for. Uh, psychic abilities. There is some school of thought that it might be quantum-based because they do have interesting results. So maybe... If I'm going to pull a den in here and I'm going to stretch it out, maybe it's that quantum entanglement, those interactions that since all chemicals are quantum entangled, not only are we all connected, but we are connected to everything else on some level. That might be an interesting way to get to telepathy, but uh, I'd like to see it. That's all I know. I don't know if it's possible or not, but I would love to see a telepathic brain in a jar uh, because I think that would be really cool. And if you can't. What better reason? I didn't think of this as an advantage earlier, but if you, you know, in a lot of movies, they also just swap brains out. So you have a brain and you're like, oh, well, this person, you know, died. I want to keep them around. I'll hang on to their brain until a suitable body is found. And then I'll just (laughs) plop that right into the other person's brain. And now I've got my the person I want in someone else's body. Now you don't need to do that. You cut out the middleman and just project your mind into someone else's body. Uh, there's two ways is what I'm saying, and that's how we always do this. But there might be others, guys. And if there are other ways, you know, other advantages to having your brain in a jar, we want to hear about them. You know, let, get in touch with us. Uh, we are on social media. Uh, the show is at, on X, formerly Twitter, at Pod. We are on Facebook, at FGGGBT. Uh, and, of course, the website, FGGGBT.com.
1: But you can get in touch with us individually. Denon, where can people find you? Well, most social media, you can find me where you flip my name, at Denon Michael. But, of course, I've started The Physics of X, where X is everything except politics. That's on YouTube, where it's actually Michael Denon, okay. um, because I was on YouTube so long ago. Um, you could probably get there from my website, denonmichael.com, um, or the Instagram channel, at Physics of X. And you've inspired me, Dan. I, I do have to say, I may I may consider a crossover episode The Physics of X, where X is is telepathy of the brain in their jar. Oh. Um, and, and and I could expand upon that idea. I'm very excited because, you know, it's really important to have those crossover episodes Absolutely. between TV shows as the master of film and television. Absolutely. So I tell our audience, watch for that. I think it'll be fun. Yeah, br-
0: maybe we'll have, make a little appearance. Maybe we'll be ahead on your screen briefly uh, yeah, discussing, exactly. <laughs> uh, which is something important. But consistency is important. And Ben, where can people find you? Because I know you are efficient and consistent. Yes, I'm... I'm
2: consistent on all the major social media networks where you can find me at Seepser. How do you spell that? Spell that B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R.
0: And of course, I can be found on X, formerly Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn on Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. And my website is DanielJGlenn.com. And of course, look for us on a future Physics of X episode about my brain (laughs) in a jar, uh, which we will do next. And I'm very excited about that.
1: And I am too, Dan. And, you know, obviously, a bunch of the people are listening on a podcast platform. They are. If you're doing that, whether your brain's in a jar or you're listening to it biologically, um, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. Just because you're in a jar doesn't give you an excuse not to do that.
2: And if you're using both your auditory and image sensors to listen, watch us on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode.
0: We well, might have to have someone else hit the button unless we also include a robotic arm connected to that brain, which we should do. We'll have lots of accessories and inputs. But if those accessories and inputs are used incorrectly, you know, this is what people do when they want to try to take over the world by basically eliminating the human population and keep us floating in our vats of nutrient liquid. But we don't want that necessarily. So if you are faced with that dilemma, remember always be a superhero, never a supervillain. So, until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? You can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got, and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio-only version. Depending on what you like, we got it for you. And if you do like those videos, you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well. We're on YouTube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And once again, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to DanielJGlenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.